right. Welcome back to episode two of the eight tracks cassettes and stereos podcast. Uh, if you're a first time listener, welcome. Welcome. If you tuned into our first episode, welcome back. Um, my name's Nick. I'm Mike. And, and yeah, hopefully you guys all enjoyed our album review of Boston's debut album. Um, and hopefully you, uh, you like what we are going to bring you today. It's a little bit different format and style, but hopefully uh, you'll get some laughs and, and learn some stuff too along the way. So, um, we figured after we realized that we really didn't get too much into our background and like who we are in the first episode, um, we kind of just like dove right into that review that we would take some time just to, like introduce ourselves a little bit more. Um, and then we'll get straight into the content. So, um, so yeah, like we said, we're brothers. Uh, we grew up in suburbs of Chicago. Um, I still live in, in Chicago. I still live in the city. Um, I'm an accountant uh, by day, music lover, I guess, by night. Yeah, and I, uh, I like like he said, I, we both grew up in uh, Arlington Heights. Um, last year, I moved out to wonderful Tucson, Arizona. So it's definitely influenced a little bit of my music. Uh, we'll, we'll get into a little bit later. reason I came out here is because I'm a teacher, so this is where the job was. Um it's been great ever since. Um, so during the day I teach special ed, but you know, after school, right when school's out and I get in the car, the first thing I do is turn on my music and I just cruise on home. Um, yeah. So I know we're both really excited to kind of dive in, um, to who we are and a little bit less about, you know, what, what the songs were for the album review, uh, just to get a little bit more personal this time around. Yeah. So, and that's kind of, we've kind of tried to build some segments out here that hopefully you guys will enjoy, uh, to give you guys some more background, like Mike said, on just who we are, the types of music that we like. So I figured without further ado, we might as well just get into our first segment, um, which is called, uh, tape deck talk. Um, yeah. and so it's going to be, we're going to just go run through about six topics, uh, three from me, uh, and then three from Mike. Um, kind of like for those that are sports lovers, a little PTI style. Um, so I guess I'll get it kicked off here. Um, for question one for you, Mike, um, what is the best concert that you've been to, um, (laughs) recently, you know, in the past and why? (laughs) Uh, no, it's a bit of a loaded question. (laughs) It's yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people that are listening are going to know the answer. Um, it's, I think my, well, so my first concert I ever went to that I remember like vividly going to was ACDC black ice tour in Chicago at the United center. Uh, we were going to this little tiny place called Ravinia for the longest time. And we saw like ELO and, uh, the beach boys plenty of times. Um, and Arlington Heights had a music festival where we saw Kansas and, um, you know, these bigger 70s bands when they were definitely at the tail end of their career. But ACDC was the first concert I went to. I kept telling people that Paul McCartney at Lollapalooza was the best concert I've ever been to. I saw Foo Fighters after that with you in Chicago. But (laughs) the show that I think is at the peak, peak of my concerts, I don't know if it's going to change this summer, but it's definitely Dead & Company on uh, September 18th at Wrigley Field. It's 
the greatest musical experience I've ever been to. I tell people that all the time. Yeah, and I feel like I don't really understand why, <laughs> um, but I'm gonna but find out. I'm gonna summer, find yeah. out this summer. Yeah, when we go and see them in uh, in Indiana, which we'll get into a little bit later. But um, all I can say is, I guess it's a uh, it's an experience, is how you phrase it, right? <laughs> it's a it's a whole day experience. Uh, you know, these bigger cities they play multiple days. So I saw them on the 17th and the 18th. There was a rain delay couple of rain delays on the 17th. Uh, there, there's a little bit of like little tiny memories that I remember. And you can listen to the audio on Spotify, like in Bertha ran into a rainstorm that John Mayer sings. And it literally came out, came at, he played it right after the rain delay. And you could hear all the fans like screaming because there was a rain delay. And like the lyrics talk about running into a rainstorm. But you, you have Shakedown, which is just like an art, like street with a bunch of hippies and they're selling man-made art and man-made shirts and stuff. So being able to go down on, uh, that, that Friday to see the show and then be able to be in Wrigleyville all day long the next day and then see that show that night and then kind of go back and then be able to wake up the next morning and just kind of process the whole weekend. is just, that's the experience. <laughs> It's like going on vacation to a hotel. You know, you have this whole trip. It's not like you're going down to the city for one night, going to see a show, and then coming home. So Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, finally getting a taste of that this summer. So, um, like I said, we'll get into maybe more of that later. But second question for you, if you had to pick your favorite guitarist, living or dead, who would it be and why? <clears throat> Uh, I, I'm going to say it, it's probably going to change in about a week. You know, I thought it was like when, when I was reading the question, I thought it was going to be Jerry Garcia just because of, you know, how versatile he is and how many different genres he could play. But honestly, I'm struggling to pick between George Harrison and David Gilmore. And I think I'm just going to go with David Gilmore because when you, when you hear the Comfortably Numb's second solo, you, you immediately know it's him, and you could pick it out between a cover. And, you know, it's the guitar tone. It's the way he plays. It's so simplistic, but it's, it's beautiful. It's like, you're, it's like you're listening to – I mean, I'm not going to compare him to our Christian God, but it's like you're, it's like you're listening to like, a, like a, uh, a musical God, literally. You know, it's just breathtaking to hear. Yeah, so, I, I, I feel like I have. Yeah, I feel like I haven't really gotten that into Pink Floyd besides like the surface level stuff that yeah. I think most people know. I mean, recently I've been trying to listen to more of their probably like lesser known work just to get more you know appreciation for them. But you really think that he's your favorite, huh? Yeah, I mean, George Harrison and the Beatles kind of, and I'm sure we'll touch on in a different episode. I have like a score. I used to be a triangle of music and it all kind of meet in the middle. And it was Genesis, it was the Beatles, and it was Pink Floyd. And then I had the Grateful Dead on and that's how it became a square. But George Harrison kind of got, I would say, got me into music. But David Gilmore is just like, I remember working at Joe's at U of I and every time we'd listen to comfortably numb, we'd, we tell everybody to shut up and we turn the music up and just sit there. Didn't matter if there were orders in me and the guys on Saturday mornings that were like big into music would just listen to it. 
Uh, so yeah, I think that's why it's just, you, you get like an emotional attachment to it. Yeah. I, I feel like I get that definitely when I listen to him, especially on his guitar solo on time. And just like that whole thing is so cool about how they recorded that in like the bathroom of Abbey road studios with like, yeah. and they were just like, had all these mics like hanging from the ceiling and the bathroom, I guess is like at the bottom of the stairs. So then they had like recording devices throughout the staircase and the tone just like reverberated on the porcelain in the bathroom and in the staircase. So that's how they were able to get such cool tones. And I feel like he also is like big experimentation too. I mean, Pink Floyd in general, but I can definitely see, see why maybe probably people didn't, wouldn't have expected you to say that, but it makes sense once you start trying to dig into like, Oh yeah, he's actually probably one of the best ever. I, I think he's left off, you know, like I just, we were complaining about the Rolling Stone top 100 I don't think he was in the top 10. Yeah. I know for certain he wasn't in the top five and I was pretty pissed off. Like there were guys like Chuck Berry that were in the top 10 and I love Chuck Berry, but like as a, as a technical guitarist, I was kind of shocked. So I think he's got like the total package of listening ability. You could listen to it well. You know, he sings, he plays guitar. You know immediately that it's him. Songwriting it's too, just, even though yeah, it's mostly Roger yeah. Waters, but he's a bum. <laughs> yeah, I know it you're not like the biggest Waters fan. I wasn't a big Waters fan in the '70s, like during their '70s times, and then he eventually apologized. So I guess he's a decent human being, but. Yeah, I kind of didn't enjoy him for the longest time. Sure. All right. And I guess before I turn it over to you, then this one may be a little bit more open ended. But how do you think your musical tastes or like the types of music that you gravitate towards uh, has changed over your life? Uh, So I have a in our last segment, I kind of talk about it a little bit. But, you know, when I was younger, I remember having my friends over and we'd like set up pillows and pretend it was drums and we'd listen to the Beatles. So I think early on it was a lot of like pop rock, like mainstream pop rock, 60s British invasion stuff, Um, just because it's easy listening ability. But then, you know, as I started taking guitar lessons, I started opening up a little bit more to more like harder, harder rock, like Van Halen more and started listening to ACDC more in middle school and like kiss. So kind of like joining that all together to being like a, like a hard rock phase going into high school. But then after high school in college, I kind of picked up like a prog rock type vibe, listening to Pink Floyd more and, you know, diving more into Genesis, not only in their 80s stuff, but figuring out who they were in the 70s with more of their experimental prog rock, which is definitely like an acquired taste to listen to, but I definitely recommend it. And then a couple years ago, being introduced to the Grateful Dead and that kind of like taking over my musical interests I think that's an understatement. (laughs) Yeah, you just like, it's a rabbit hole. It's a dark rabbit hole. But like I'm wearing a tie-dye Grateful Dead shirt under this right now. But yeah, and then kind of realizing like, oh, John Mayer is actually a really good guy and a songwriter. And like I kind of made fun of, not really like bullied or made fun of people, but I was like, oh, you listen to John Mayer, you're basic, like bass guitar player. But then kind of realizing like how actually good he is. 
and how good his music is and being like, damn, like people that listened to him early on in high school and middle school just got to experience his music more. So I think, you know, taking that British invasion and just expanding it like a spider web. Yeah. But I guess when you say that though, the British invasion and those bands, like they influenced everything that came after them. So like, I always think it's funny looking back on the music that I enjoyed when I was a kid versus now. And like, and we'll touch on it later, but like we, I definitely still have an appreciation for that, but it's funny. Like you start to like bands that those bands were influenced by, you know, or those bands ended up influencing in the future. So it kind of just goes to show you that everything musically is interconnected to a certain degree, which is kind of cool. So, well, and then especially like, I guess to put it in more perspective, I remember you did the similar thing with the band that I did with the Grateful Dead, where you were like talking about the band all the time, talking about this, talking about Garth Hudson playing all these instruments. And I was like, dude, shut up. But now I'm like, oh yeah, the band is actually like really good. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you're slowly starting to go down the Grateful Dead rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say you're I'm seeing I'm, the cliff. You're you're like at the top of the cliff, just like teasing your way down. I'm teasing it. I'm starting. I've always liked them, and I think I told you this before, but I used to listen to them at work all the time because it's just like jam band stuff that most of the time doesn't have a ton of lyrics behind it when you listen to the live stuff. So you can just have it on in the background while you're working. Uh, and it kind of just like helps pass the time and it doesn't distract you. So, but now I'm starting to like understand, I think why, you know, they're so you know important and why people love them so much. I don't know if I'll go full hippie, but um, I definitely can see okay. why, uh, why you like them so much. <clears throat> Um, yeah. All right, let's flip the script. You, uh, okay. I threw in some doozies there. I think uh, my third question especially is a little <laughs> – it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, what, so start off, what do you think is the most overrated band and the most underrated band? Maybe this will spark some debate. We'll see. Uh, I don't know. I might skip the overrated because I feel like – I don't know. I, I have an appreciation for all kinds of music. I feel like there's not too much stuff that I don't like to listen to. So maybe I'll try and focus on the underrated to be more positive, but I think, and you kind of mentioned it a little while ago. I just think that nobody really has a full appreciation, maybe not nobody, but for the band, like for those that don't know, like the band is a rock band. Um, and I feel like some like people either don't know about them or they've only heard songs like The Weight and stuff like that are, that are just very mainstream. And I feel like once you start digging more into the types of songs that they loved and, and their recordings, you realize that these guys are awesome. And when you start digging more into their bat, uh, like who they are, like they're all Canadian, except for the drummer, Levon Helm. And they're writing about like, you know, Southern like Americana in a lot of their songs, which is, I think kind of funny, like, you know, four or five Canadians writing about passionately about Americana is always kind of cool to me. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd say for sure the band. And then when I've started listening to more podcasts that talk about music, you end up realizing that they influenced a lot of 
groups in the seventies and the eighties and the, they'll like ask people like, Oh, like, what did you listen to growing up? Or like, what got you really into, into music? And they'll be like, yeah, you know, bands like the band, Bob Dylan, stuff like that. And like they, and they actually started off as Bob Dylan's backing band when he was on tour. And then, and he wrote a couple of their, you know, songs that got them really big on their first album. Um, But then like, Robbie Robertson and the guys were like, you know, we actually might have something here. I think we could actually branch out and just become our own group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I always just find it funny too, that like they couldn't think of a name. So they were just like, everyone called them the band because they were Bob Dylan's backing band. So they're like, yeah, I guess we're the band. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And that, I, I'm disappointed that, well, I mean, it's the same thing. Like you, you gotta, you gotta go in there on your own time. And I definitely went in on my own time, like waiting for the water to like be warm and actually realized that, I mean, I always loved the wait. I think it's great song. It's terrific. And, um, you know, you realize that all their other songs are just as good. Yeah. And just as catchy. And sweet Garth Hudson. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. So, I, uh, my second one is what are your top five albums of all time? Yeah, I've actually been thinking about this a lot. So when you put it on here, uh, you know, it kind of just already, already got me thinking about something that I've been trying to put in perspective for a while now, but I think I'll go in, in no particular order because similarly, like it's oh, hard for me to number one though. You got to say what your number one is. Okay. No, well, that's, that's it, the, yeah. Number one for sure is Sgt. Pepper's. Okay, that's fair. So that's always going to be, I think, my favorite album. It'll always be number one for me because of just the impact that it had on, you know, music at the time and still is. I feel like similarly to what I said about the band, a lot of times you'll listen to interviews with artists and they'll be like, you know, what did you listen to when you were a kid or what got you you know, interested in wanting to be a musician and be um, usually, you know, they'll say Sergeant Peppers, the Beatles, stuff like that. So Sergeant Peppers for sure. Number one other, and then the rest of the top five in like no particular order, probably born to run Bruce Springsteen. That one is always one of my favorites. Uh, recently, I think that, and as you know, I've gotten really into Dave Matthews band. And I think that crash is probably in the top five or recently crept into the top five. Um, you know, obviously their other albums are great too, but you know, when you think about their jams and, and the songs that they're most known for, that was kind of like their jumping off point. So that's up there. Probably dark side of the moon, pink Floyd. So what am I up to Four. Number five, I don't know, I'll probably get crucified for leaving some out, but I think Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Elton John, double album, you know, when he really exploded onto the scene in the mid-70s, early 70s, like, you know, you can throw a dart at that track list and you'll hit an amazing song and I could listen to that yeah. one on repeat over and over again. So yeah, there's a lot of like underrated songs on that that people don't know, but you right. hear it and you're like, Oh, that's awesome. Sweet painted lady. That's I a jam. Say that. 
Gray Seal, great song. I've seen that yeah. movie too. Great song. Yeah. I think yeah. that that like I said, it's a double album. That track list is, you know, untouchable. So mm. yeah. But then like you think about other albums too that I feel like were probably not in my top five, but are I think when I think about my childhood or just even in college albums that were really impactful to me, like Blink-182, Enema of the State, like that's just straight hits from Blink-182. Probably just Foo Fighters albums that are also amazing, like the color and the shape. I think after Taylor Hawkins died, I did like a deep dive on Foo Fighters. Not that it wasn't before, but like kind of got more of an appreciation for their early stuff too, when they were still trying to find their sound and whatnot. So yeah, that's top five and honorable mentions too. So I feel like you got to put the honorable mentions in there just to make it, just to make it fair though. Yeah. You know, just to, just to understand kind of where you're coming from. Yeah. Oh, here comes my co-pilot. There he is. There he is. I don't. <laughs> So my third question for you is who is a better songwriter in the duo? The 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 legendary hit making duo of Lennon and McCartney. Who is a better songwriter? Um I you know, I think if you asked me this question five years ago, I would just automatically defer to McCartney. And I think that's just because his songs probably are maybe more commercial and I enjoy his songs probably more than Lennon. But I think recently I've done a bit of a deep dive on Lennon, like both like his Beatles work and also his solo work. And I'll get into this later, but I've been reading Paul McCartney's biography and it's interesting when you, when you hear him talk about, the impact that John Lennon had on his life, you know, I, I think it's kind of a loaded question and not really fair because, you know, it's kind of like a chicken and egg situation. Like you don't have one without the other. Um, yeah. And while like some of Lennon's stuff, probably like solo work, maybe not like so commercially, you know, you don't think of like some of his songs as like the best of all time, but you know, the impact that I think he had, both in like his music and just like the type of person that he was, you know, it's undeniable that, you know, there's a reason that it's Lennon and McCartney, the best of all time. Like you can't, re- like I said, you can't really have one without the other. So I know I didn't really answer your question, but I think I like listening to McCartney songs a lot more than Lennon songs. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I yeah. I love Lennon too. I lo- I really like his solo work. I've been getting into it re- a lot more recently. So not a not a huge fan of his. You already know that. Not a huge fan. I mean his um his a Beatles his Beatles work is great. I'm a huge fan of his Beatles work. But then I found out uh, his uh, questionable personality. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. you're not a huge fan of guy. I I can't I can't get into his solo stuff. It's just I don't, it's not easy listening. But what about songs like Mind Games or songs yeah, like, I mean, his bit, his bit like stuff is very How Do You Sleep is a great song. Like the Imagine album as a whole, like you can't, that's, those are great songs on there. But a lot of his stuff too, like if you think about it, he just, he kind of attacked Paul McCartney in a couple of his songs. And I'm like, mm, bro, 
You should read the book though, because it kind of gets into some of the backstory on those songs that were they were well, like trading back and forth the, like. The one guy was like really influential in a lot of that. There was like some I forgot his name, but he kind of was like. He was influential in a lot of those Paul McCartney, like attacking Paul McCartney songs. Yeah. The book kind of touches on that, though, about, like, why Paul, you know, some of the stuff that some of the songs where people thought he was attacking Lennon, he was actually attacking his wife, Linda McCartney's ex-husband, like Dear Boy and stuff like that. Like, those aren't about John Lennon, but people think that they're about Lennon, which, like, in turn made him write songs like How Do You Sleep as, like, a, you know, a clap back to those. But then, like, songs like Three Legs are definitely about the other three Beatles, you know? So. Yeah. But, but yeah, so that's that's Tape Deck Talk. Um, so to, to segue into our next segment, we'll do a little bit of musical current events. Um, I just feel like there's been a lot going on recently, both locally mm-hmm. in Chicago, which is in music world in general. So we can run through these uh like kind of like a top five here, but um, I didn't realize this, but Panic at the Disco is breaking up after 20 years. Well, I mean, it's been, it's been, uh, what's his name for like, since the the mid 2000s. Yeah. Brandon Urie. It's been him for a while, but I'm, I'm I, I, it kind of makes sense. It makes sense at this time. I'm not super surprised, but yeah, that was, yeah. That was pretty big news. Yeah, I didn't really see that coming, but yeah, when you kind of look at the past members and stuff, he's been the one that's been holding the, uh, keeping yeah. the torch lit for like 10 years now, maybe longer. So, yeah. um, then also Sam Phillips, it turned, would have turned a hundred, I think earlier in the month, I think his birthday is like January 5th or something like that. But for those of you that don't know, uh, who Sam Phillips is, he actually started sun records in Memphis, Tennessee, who, Mm-hmm. recorded the legends like Elvis, Johnny Cash. Um, trying to think who else he would have recorded, but oh, the uh, um, Million Dollar Quartet, yeah. Jerry Lee Lewis, yeah. uh, and also just like other probably not as well-known artists, but he really championed rock and roll and why a lot of people say like Memphis is the you know, heart of rock and roll or where rock and roll was was really born or maybe exploded is probably the better word, but yeah, I'd actually did an album review on a, on a Jerry Lee Lewis single that I have. And, but mostly was talking about Sam Phillips and why I think he's important. Um, so, you know, do your research, you know, look up who Sam Phillips is and you realize, wow, like he, he found these guys or like yeah. he got so big and influential that these artists like Johnny Cash, Elvis, they went to Memphis because they wanted to be recorded and yep. promoted by Sam. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it's definitely a cornerstone of rock and roll. Yeah. But most people like you wouldn't, if you just be like, Oh yeah, Sam Phillips, hundred years old, people would be like, who never heard of him. So mm-hmm. kind of cool. Um, and then some, I guess, upcoming recent announcements on concerts and albums that just, uh, happened in the last week or so. Uh, John Mayer just announced that he's doing a, yeah. a nationwide stadium tour, but solo. Mm-hmm. So just him yeah. up there, which is kind of cool. 
uh, kind of pissed that he's coming to Chicago and I won't be around for that. So maybe I try and, uh, yeah. and sneak away and, and see well, him maybe, somewhere. Uh, maybe you could sneak away to Arizona in April and we could drive up to Phoenix and see him. <laughs> maybe. I, I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> definitely would recommend if you haven't seen him live before. I haven't, which is why I'm kind of kicking myself on this. But definitely it would be a cool experience to see him like in a huge stadium just solo. Yeah. Yeah. And then Dave Matthews band announced that they're releasing a new album in May. Uh, they just released their first single off of it, which is actually pretty, pretty fire. Um, and then they're doing a summer stadium tour as well to like promote the album, which I think they're coming to Chicago in, in July. I'm definitely going to try and see them. Oh boy. Well, I might be home for that. Yeah. I am going to be home for that. Maybe I'll tie it along. And then also Dead & Co., as Mike mentioned, oh, they're yeah. actually they're doing their farewell final tour this summer, Sadly. which I always was like, I never really knew if I wanted to go see them. But when Mike told me that they were, you know, hanging it up for good, I was like, All right, I got to, you know, they're legends, even it's though they're not. The same. And it's yeah. great listening. Yeah. So we're yeah. we're actually driving down to. Noblesville, Indiana, the bustling oh, metropolis and yeah. in, uh, in June, and we're going to go see them, which I'm pretty pumped it's about. It's going to be a great outdoor show on the lawn, you know, vibing to some hippie music. <laughs> uh, it's going to be great. For sure. You guys probably then, heard my do not disturb. Bring that up. I'm very popular getting a call. And then you okay. also wrote something here about Kenny Loggins. Yes, Kenny Loggins is going on his final tour. Yeah, so he, he said he wanted to spend more time with his family, um, and he is going on his, what will be his farewell tour as well. And I was actually looking online yesterday. Um, Red Hot Chili Peppers are going on tour for their 2023 tour, um, and there's a couple pop artists. I think I think I saw Britney Spears. Mm. Wait, what? No. Yep, I think Britney's going Spears. back on tour. I think you should me, maybe uh, fact check that. Fact check that right now. I'll let me put it up. Um, summer tour, 2023. There it is. Entertainment Weekly. You ready? Here we go. We got Journey opening act. Toto. We have Bruce Springsteen's going on his 2023 tour. Carrie Underwood, Paramore. We got. Wiz Kid, I don't know who that is. Reba, we do have Reba. Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks. T Swift, which is that's actually probably the biggest one because people have been going nuts about that. Yeah, um, I was gonna put something in here about the whole Ticketmaster shenanigans. Like, if you haven't, yeah. if you haven't read any of that stuff and and know what's going on with like the the court case right now, it's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. You say fuck Shania, Ticketmaster. Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, I hate Ticketmaster. I don't go through that anymore. Um, yeah, Madonna and Pink. You got you got ZBB, Zach Brown Band, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. But well, it seems I like I kind of forgot about Blink. Names. Yeah, Blink's coming. Yeah, I can't Blink's see Blink, them yeah. either. I have a wedding that weekend. I'm kind of pissed about that. Their opening act, one of the opening acts, is Rise Against, which is I think that's just unfair. That's not. Now I'm even more mad. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then I guess to round out the current events, uh, maybe on more of a sad note, unfortunately, but we've lost a lot of legends of the game. I'll say in the recent month, you know, last week, David Crosby passed away. 
which if you will follow my album posts on Instagram and Facebook, I just did one on the uh, CSN first album. So mm-hmm. very sad that, that he recently died. Jeff back to, which I feel like he's maybe like probably a little bit of a gray area for me. Like I, I feel like he doesn't have songs, but people know that well, he they, is they like one are. of the greatest guitarists of all time. He, he puts out albums and stuff. He's, he just doesn't sing, but right. he has like guest singers on the songs. I think it was a shocker. He was still in his seventies. Yeah. He, he wasn't was that old. He was definitely the younger Yardbird. Um, but yeah, definitely a musical great, definitely an influential guitarist for people of all ages and generations. Yeah. And then Elvis's daughter, Lisa Marie Presley yeah. passed away. That one was also kind of a shocker. She was only in like her fifties too, I think. I think she was 53. Yeah. That's not that old. Did you see how she died? Wasn't it, was it a heart attack? I thought it was something like that. So kind of very sad about that. Yeah. And then finally, I guess for local Chicagoans, people that listen to XRT, we recently lost uh, morning radio DJ Lynn Bramer to prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. I did another album post about him. Um, but yeah. just like, I think I really didn't, I really didn't know how influential just like he was and like XRT was on my like, musical tastes and like growing up and stuff like that. Like I didn't realize like, you know, some of the bands that I've discovered when I was in like middle school, high school, like Weezer, Foo Fighters, Chili Peppers, like, you know, a lot of that was stuff that he also liked and talked about on his morning shows and stuff like that. And with his lens bins and segments like that, like, you know, yeah. he was a true Chicagoan and, and music lover. And, you know, it's very sad that, that he died. Yeah. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, I've only seen what people have said. I, I never really was into XRT just early on due to me only liking those <laughs> couple music genres. And they would play a lot of modern stuff that I just wasn't into at the time. But it's definitely a sad, um, it was definitely a sad thing to read about. Yeah. Just for like, how, how XRT is, you know, out of rock music, you have, you had the loop, rest in peace, the loop. But it's it's really the drive and XRT, and you know when the loop was around, you had those three. But I think it was one of the last long running radios, yeah, uh, channels. And definitely champion like local artists to Chicago and new music too. So like I always knew that if I wanted to hear a new song or try and find a new artist, you know, I could just turn on XRT and. You know, yeah. odds are they're playing the jams and the hits, but they're also playing songs. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I've never even heard of that. So, yeah. you know, yeah. very sad. Mm-hmm. But, uh, to guess I rounded out on a more positive note. I figured we could just have like a, you know, musical round table, like open-ended <laughs> nice topics. Round table. Yeah. Yes. I feel like we just haven't like talked that much recently. I don't know. I've been super busy with work, obviously, but I just figured we just like rattle off stuff that like, what have you been listening to, I guess, recently? Or like, you know, have you bought any new albums or like documentaries or anything that you want to recommend to me or the listeners? Um, I've been getting into blues rock, like blues and folk rock. Um, 
I, at the beginning, I was talking about how I moved out to Arizona and how a lot of the musical and a lot of like the vibes out here have influenced my music, my music interests now. Um, like I'm getting into the Highwaymen more, kind of like Western American rock, like America, and um, I have like this this whole like big playlist of that kind of stuff that I just put on all the time. Um, I haven't really bought a lot of new music just because, you know, the teacher salary is not the, uh, the most valuable salary, but, uh, I've, I've tried to listen to stuff that I normally haven't listened to in my collection. I got, I put on faces with Rod Stewart a couple, a couple weeks ago. And I honestly think I've listened to second helping like once or twice. And I've had it for like two, three years by Leonard Skinner. Great album. You know, I just bought that. Got to have it in your collection. The The Ballad of Curtis Lowe. I think it is the best song in the album. Yeah, it's a banger. Totally. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I uh, I definitely always recommend is going down the rabbit hole of Grateful Dead shows. You know, um, there's actually I was waiting a, for this. A more serious note: there's a podcast on Spotify. So if you're interested in them or want to learn more, it's it's the Grateful Dead cast. They put up episodes on dead.net, which is the main website. And I just started listening to it a couple of years ago. And I finished the like 20 part episode about American Beauty and Working Man's Dead that had their their anniversary in like 2021. Um, and it, they go through each track. They talk about how the track was created you know, what the influences were, what the song's about. They go over a lot of performances. And for Dire Wolf, which is, um, it's easily one of their most popular songs. You know, they've played it like 200 sometimes. At the end of the episode, they go into this recording, the same amount of time Dire Wolf is, but it starts off with their live performances from the first time they played it all the way to the last time they played it. So it's That's like a, pretty two, cool. it's a three minute version, but after every 10 seconds, it, it changes and you really get to see um, kind of how the band sounded early on and how they sounded towards the end of the career in 1995. So I think it's worth it. Um, yeah. I feel like if you listen to dead, like sixties, seventies dead, it's very different than like, which I'm f- finding out yeah. now is like, it's a lot different than like eighties uh-huh. and then like nineties yeah. dead before Jerry died. Like I was listening to a podcast uh, that had Bob Weir on it, and he was kind of talking about how, you know, I think Rick Rubin, who hosts, is one of the hosts on it. He asked him, like, when you guys had, like, Touch of Grey and stuff in the 80s, like, what was that experience like? And he's like, you know, we didn't think that we were, like, commercially successful. And then they're on (laughs) MTV and stuff, and they're, you know, they immediately get on, like, you know, front page of the paper for lack of a better term, getting on MTV with music videos and stuff. And it's like, Whoa, yeah. you know, it sounds a lot different yeah. than, you know, touch of grade does not sound at, you know, much like what they were recording when they first started out. No. And a lot, I think a lot of people, when they think of the grateful dead, they think of like the thing that either comes in their head is either this distorted, like weird music just because of the title of their band or they immediately associate them with the psychedelic 60s acid test vibe. Yeah, which they definitely it's had that far more sound. Than that, though. Yeah, yeah. 100, oh, 100%. And then when you get into like 1972, 
that's when I think it's like 71, 72 is when you start to hear like their folk and blues more. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was always there early on, but it's not like they're, you know, they've gotten bigger. They've gotten their musical interests out and it's, it's, it's worth listening to. It's not all, you know, hippie music. music. Yeah. Yeah. So word. That's, that's, that's where I'm at though. Word, word. Yeah. I've been, I haven't really been bought many new albums, which now that I say that I've bought a lot of albums this month, (laughs) um, but I've, I've been getting really into James Taylor and just, I think in general for the last like two months, I've been really getting back into like my musical roots, like listening to a lot of Beatles and I think, and Paul McCartney, but I feel like a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm reading his biography, which I'm not going to lie. The fa- the last couple like hundred pages has been brutal. Cause like we're getting into like the you know last 10 to 15 years of his life and he's not really obviously putting out a ton of new music so most of the book is just about like his personal life and and like him touring and like the crazy divorce that he had um which ended up being like one of the largest it's i think it's the largest in terms of dollars divorce settlement in british history which is crazy, but like, it's kind of boring. Not going to lie right now. <laughs> Cause they're not really talking about the music. They're just like talking about his, his second wife yeah. and stuff, which is kind of, I don't know. I need to finish it, but I highly would recommend it. I will, you know, read his, his biography. It's really, really interesting. And you learn a lot about the Beatles and like the fallout and, and you know, how it actually took him a long time to get back to the top with wings and like, you know, let the music world know, like, Hey, I don't, you know, I can still be awesome and put out good music without Lennon, which I feel like is weird because like they feel like people kind of gave Lennon a pass right out of the gates. And then they were really hard on Paul McCartney. Yeah. Well, there's the whole thing with him with silly love songs where like people were saying, all you write are silly love songs and silly love songs is literally about people saying, Silly love song. Yeah, he's like, I don't, he's like pretty much wrote that saying, like, (laughs) I don't care what you guys think. I'm just going to write bangers and Mm -hmm. I can write them love songs. I'm going to write a silly love song and it's going to be great. Yeah. And then also I found this like pot, this podcast recently called Broken Record, which is with Malcolm Gladwell and Rick Rubin, like I mentioned, and I've been like obsessed with that. So, you Mm -hmm. know, podcast promoting podcasts you know if you're a music fan i would highly highly recommend this it's it's kind of nerdy at times and they do like you know it's it's a novelist and who's malcolm gladwell and then it's rick rubin who's like complete opposite but at the same time they bond over music and like rick rubin is just like very 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 insightful which is which is cool so um, and then also Rick Rubin too issue or like released a documentary with Paul McCartney called McCartney three, two, one on Hulu. If you haven't you know, watched it or checked it out, would highly, highly recommend. It's pretty much just Rick and Paul McCartney in Paul McCartney's house in Scotland in his like mm-hmm. home recording studio, which like kind of side note, the book talks about his home recording studio and it's, awesome and then to like see it in the documentary um is really cool but essentially in the doc they just like do like a deep dive 
on songs that he wrote with the Beatles and I think a couple of solo songs, they kind of like talk about band on the run and how that was like his finally, like him being recognized commercial, like critically post Beatles, but they just like play music and Rick pretty much is just like, what were you thinking about when you wrote this baseline or like, you know, how did you, and they like isolate the different tracks within the songs. And it's just like really cool for a music nerd and if you want to geek out to Beatles stuff it's it's really really cool I do have to say I think and I just re- like thought about I mean I've always thought about this but it just came back in my head I was also going to try and say too I'm literally looking at my movie shelf and the Beatles anthology is there which is I think one of the best documentaries <laughs> it's so enjoyable it's on YouTube but you can't watch all the parts so now that I have the DVDs thank you by the way I mean, oh um, no problem I got it from Mike for it. Christmas for those that yeah. don't know it's we've all we got it from the library when we were in like middle school or elementary school we watched it all the way through we watched it when we were in like middle school in the Beatles class but now being able to actually have it on DVD helps so much but I think Paul McCartney is being from starting off as a guitar player and also I think I don't, I don't mean to keep crapping on John Lennon, but like not a very good guitar player. Let's just be honest with that one. Like George Harrison taught him how to play guitar. If you guys don't know that, but to kind of be like the odd man out, go from guitar to bass. Cause they never had a bass player. They had three guitarists and Stu, who's like kind of a bum, but to kind of like be like, fine, I'll play bass. I think he's one of the best bass players of all time. If yeah. you actually listen to what he does in the background, well, they talk and about it. They talk about it on too. the documentary too. Like some of the bass lines that you hear, yeah. you can't really hear them unless you're like specifically listening for the bass in the songs. Yeah. Like go listen to the bass line on something. Like, and like it's George, ridiculous. it's like him I and George it. Harrison is like are very very complimentary. And he's like, yeah, like yeah. you know, George had this amazing song, and I wanted to make sure that I delivered on the bass line. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Glad you're listening to that. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, he's he's great. I tried, I recorded all the all the parts of something, and I tried playing the bass, and it's it's, it's very so hard. hard. Yeah, me. yeah. He's it, like all like, over the neck. He's like yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So he's uh he's got to be up there. I mean, there's people like that are way better, obviously, but to not be born as a bass player. As a, like learn it, as a me self-taught, learn it over time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Flea was actually kind of like that. He never played bass either. Like Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Again, oh, yeah. go listen to Broken Record Podcast. They do mm-hmm. Malcolm Gladwell as an episode with Flea. And he like, he actually grew up being like classically trained. Like he also had just like a really rough childhood and stuff, mm-hmm. but he, uh, he grew up playing piano and, um, and he learned how to play the bass from the first guitar player in the red hot chili peppers before he died. And he taught him how to play the bass. But like you, it kind of just shows you that like when you know music and you, you can learn any instrument and Paul, Paul McCartney definitely did that too. uh, So, you know, who else is classically trained was a classical, you know, musician was uh, Mr. Phil Lesh of the grateful dead. Oh yeah, I did. Also, I did learn that he's recently. A crazy bass player too. I mean, he plays a six string, and it's just like, dude, we're like, what the heck? It's awesome. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, I think that was all we had. So thanks again for, for tuning in, Mike. It's good talking to you. Like I said, I feel like we haven't talked in a while. So, uh, yeah, that's, we'll, we'll put a, put a bow on this episode. Thanks everyone for listening and, uh, and come back for, uh, for episode three. Thank you.